What's up, you miscreants, you misfits, you outcast of society? Welcome back. We're back. Season two of Screaming at a Wall podcast. I just want to say thank you for all the people that have subscribed, listened thus far. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just floating right there, just head. I'm like that death row photo of Tupac and Snoop, Snoop Dogg. And... Anyway, we're back. Season two. I'm only saying season two because I took such a long break, so why not just break that up, you know? I'm actually lying to myself. I had a lot going on, and I had to take a little break, take a little st step back, recalibrate, readjust, and I am in a better place to be able to do this. I do want to say something pretty awesome has happened uh, with my brother, who's uh, he was serving two seven life sentences, and uh, with sixty years enhancements on top of that, he's been down for nineteen years. It's pretty crazy to think about, but they have what they call the elderly law, and it was sixty years of age, and you were eligible to go out for parole if you weren't in there for murder or something like that. Anyway, they just dropped it down to 50. He's 46. That means he has four years to go, possibly, to get out, to be a free person. And uh, I just, uh, maybe if you could throw some positive energy out there for me and for him uh, any, and anybody else that can benefit from that law because, uh, you know, people deserve a second chance. And uh, so Evan Sterling, he's the author of... The Yogi in Disneyland. Uh, Evan has also worked at Thrasher for 26 years. Um, but we don't really talk about that too much. We talk about his book. We talk about his spiritual journey journey, and how it, it, it connects to his life. Uh, specifically, the, the details uh, in the book. And uh, we explore that a little bit. And as someone that was a little apprehensive when I first heard about the book, I have to say, after reading the book, I, I have a new outlook. I have a, a new perspective. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why I do this podcast in the first place is I'm, I'm trying to connect with different people from different subcultures and different backgrounds and different journeys because I think that's what life is about. It's about trying to understand each other um, and, and not always be in a combative uh, tribal state you know, that you're, you're different than I am and I don't understand that. So, you know, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was good. I really enjoyed it and I hope that you enjoy it. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so. And we have a lot of interviews like coming up. So I just, I'm back on that horse. I'm grinding, doing 50 fifties. Um, so without further ado, enjoy this interview with Evan Sterling. I look like a, f a floating head right here. Hey, can I get some like backlight or something? I mean, who's running this operation really? I don't know. The author of The Yogi in Disneyland, 
Eben Sterling. You'd like to say hi to our audience, Eben. Yeah, what's up? I do not represent against the stream, just using the space. Just using the space. Uh, we appreciate them for uh, allowing us to, to be here. Yeah, don't let me sully their reputation. <laughs> uh, you actually uh, represent Thrasher pretty heavy, right? That I do. Yeah? Sure. Yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> You'll take that. How long have you been working at Thrasher? Uh, coming up on, well, 28 years. Damn. 28 and a half years. So... <laughs> Interesting uh, fact, uh, when I was opening up my skate shop, apparently I reached out to you at one point. That's right. Pretty yeah. funny. That's yeah. the beauty of using Gmail all these years. I searched in my emails and found one from you from like 2015 or something. That's hitting me up for ad rates. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so for the people that don't know, what do you what do you do at Thrasher? Um, the advertising director. So I basically do the sales of ads into the magazine and onto the website. Yeah. How did you get involved, uh, with working with them? Um, I basically, uh, did drugs with the guy that had my job before me. Uh -huh. I knew the guy that knew the guy or I knew the guy that had the shit. Uh -huh. I was the guy that knew the guy and, um, the guy that had the job before me I actually started at slap skateboard magazine mm -hmm. um back when that was still going 1993 and um the guy that had the job as a slap ad director before me wanted to get high and i knew where to get the shit and i was skateboarder first i should say mm -hmm. um so that's how we met and then uh, we got high and got to talking and he uh said he, and i was super into hip-hop especially at the time and he was like, oh, I'm leaving Slap. You should get this job. You're all into skating and hip-hop. And I was like, yes, I should. And the rest is history. Yeah. Long at <laughs> 93 to infinity. <laughs> Fucking long-ass time, man. Yeah. Um, so when I first, I guess, f f when this book uh, fell into my orbit, right, I was confused. Right. <laughs> Good response. <laughs> I really was. I mean, especially, I guess, as someone on, on the spiritual path. Um, and then, of course, the, the punk rock connection to that as well. You know, and I think we had, like, discussed this before. Uh, you know, Disneyland sort of represent, well, now, you know, I don't know if it ever, if it always represented uh, the, the, the looming figure trying to sort of control, you know, uh, media. Um, I mean, I think also, you know, maybe what you're getting at too is sort of this media hegemony, especially with Disney buying Fox and Star Wars and all these things. I mean, it is this huge conglomerate as far as media control and, and money goes. Um, so there is that aspect to it, which I, in no way, you know, want to not be aware of. Um, believe me, I was just as skeptical and um, surprised when I had the experience that I did going to Disneyland and then subsequently uh, watching all the animated features kind of back to back. So, um, uh, you know, kind of to answer your question, um, I mean, what happened for me was that I had a kid, you know, and, and I was, and I will say this, the last time I had gone to Disneyland was in my eighth grade 
you know, eighth grade trip to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Southern California, so we got to go to Disneyland in eighth grade. So I didn't go back to, you know, and at that time, ironically enough, I had my first mohawk. We, I literally brought like a boom box and we sat on the back of the school bus and I literally had TSOL code blue. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the plasmatics, uh-huh. you know, and it was like, we would just, one, two, fuck you was like how they'd start the songs on the plasmatics. And we just thought that was the sickest thing we'd ever heard in our lives. And in eighth grade, if you had that, you know, it was like, well, fuck everybody. Like you guys think you're cool. You think we're not cool, whatever. One, two, fuck you. Like that was just like mic drop you know what i mean and then um the other thing was uh code blue and it's funny to think about that being 13 years old you know and because i'm a father now and i see what kids are you know what a 13 year old's like and the fact that at 13 we had this song code blue that was like i want to fuck the dead like (laughs) i mean that's some that's insane like that's so taboo and so over the top like uh just breaking every social norm you reach this and everything. Of yeah. Offensive yeah, yeah. And, and you know, people like worry about like kids being exposed to things and this and that, like like necromancy. Come on, man. Like that's <laughs> about as heavy of a song as I have ever heard. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at 13, that was my shit. Like, I want to fuck the dead. Like yeah. again, it was just so like in the face of all convention and just such a it was so empowering as a kid, you know, I mean, all kids are basically oppressed because oppression is like not having the full rights of a human being, you know, of an adult, you know? So that's like what kids are in a sense. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, obviously some people are much more oppressed than others, but I'm just saying as the perception of somebody, as a kid, it was like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? I don't have the full rights of society. I don't have, you know, I don't get to make my own decisions. I don't have, you know, autonomy in this culture. Well, I want to fuck the dead, you know what I mean? Take this, motherfuckers, you know what I mean? So anyways, so that's where I was at the last time I went to Disneyland. Uh, meaning, you know, we be- they didn't want to, you know, it was like we were afraid they weren't going to let us in because of our hair and stuff like that. You know, back then, Disneyland was a lot more like that, you know. Um, and what, what year was this? This, this would have been 80s? in like 1981, 1982, Eight. wow. I think. I guess 1982. Yeah, 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 it must have been, yeah, because it was, uh, yeah, yeah, eighth grade, 1982. Um, right before I got into Thrasher and skateboarding. Um, so in any event, um, I didn't go back to Disneyland. I mean, much like you said, it, I went through, you know, I got into punk rock and it was this real anti-commercial, anti-capitalist, anti, you know, like it was like alternative culture, do it yourself. Very much not like go buy the thing off the shelf kind of thing. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, you know, that sort of like you could just go to the there were some punk stores and stuff, but there was only just like a few. And you had to really go and find them. They weren't at a shopping mall for sure. You know what I mean? So in any event. I'm just saying, like, I didn't expect Disney to resonate for me at any time in my life. And when my kid, then I had a kid, and when he was about three, my wife was like, yeah, we got to take him to Disneyland. And I was like, yeah, that'd be sick. You know, and I'm thinking, like, when I was a kid, yeah, you just go for a day, and that's it. And and you go home, you know what I mean? And then she's like, yeah, we got to go for, like, three days and shit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What could you possibly do at Disneyland for three whole days? Yeah. 
you know, in my family, we didn't ever stay at the Disneyland hotel or anything like that when I was a kid. I mean, we didn't have I didn't even think they money. existed, right? Like, there was a the Disneyland hotel, but it was, was for like, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of my perception of money was colored by my parents' perception yeah. of it because they were they had their own issues with it, yeah. you know, being like hippies and stuff like that. But but, you know, it, in my own possibly self-impoverished mind state or possibly just being poor, you know, it was like, we don't have the money. Dude. That's for rich people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. So we didn't do that when I was a kid is all I'm saying. Um, my grandma would take me and we'd go for one day. And um, so I was like, you're crazy. Go to Disneyland for three days. Well, I went and I'd lost my mind. Like I had this like spiritual experience. How, how old was your kid? He was three and a half, like three years oh. old. And I talk about that. It's the very first part of the book um, where uh, I had this experience where I was on Main Street and the firework shows going on and it's lit up crazy, very theatrical and dramatic. And um, there's this insane light show and is this multi-sensory experience and the music is piping and it's these songs that I remember from my childhood and other cool stuff had sort of come in with all the pirates of the Caribbean and that whole kind of vibe starting to take over more at Disneyland instead of the more Americana and like Victorian era stuff mm -hmm. that Mary Poppins and shit like that. When I was a kid, like all that corny shit, like turn of the century America and stuff had and the western and all that stuff had taken a real back seat by the time my i was 40 you know to it had become this place of fantasy and um pirates and star wars and and then the fairy tales and all those great stories so i and i'm sitting there it's in the book whatever i have my kid on my shoulders and i just have this moment of total acceptance and total connection which is basically what yoga means linguistically is like union, you know, having a connection. Uh, the way I explain it is sort of having an outward connection is yoga and then having a, a sense of wholeness um, in, in, inwardly. And that's what I had at that moment. I felt connected to, and it's weird because, I mean, I was an American studies major in school and college, so I've studied American history and American politics uh, in, you know, listening to the Grateful Dead and stuff, I have a respect and a connection to sort of Americana. And, I, and I'd listen to a lot of like Merle Haggard and mm -hmm. cool country music, honky-tonk music. And Outlaw blues, stuff, yeah. Blues, mm -hmm. lots of blues and that kind of, you know. So I had a sense of Americana. But at that moment, I felt like a connection to my culture, to my identity, who I was as a person, to my upbringing, to my country even, which was really shocking as a punk rock, you know, anarchist, UCSC, you know, Ojai person to have this connection of really feeling like to my country and to, um, and to growing up in Southern California and to this weird commercial identity based society that we, that I grew up in. But all of a sudden it was just, I just had this moment of, of feeling oneness um, with my upbringing, with my current, with my past and with my son, you know, being a father and seeing it through his eyes, I think just brought back, you know, this sense of 
comfort and ease non-judgment child i was gonna say like yeah. not, not ju- like judging the experience just exactly. being a part of the experience and we we talked about this earlier where i'm becoming sort of detached and what reading this allowed me to do was just to get more of an understanding of those judgments that i have and to be able to sort of look at the experience for what it is and not to get too off track, but, you know, I, I was going to um, uh, jump into the question of where you were spiritually, like mm-hmm. at that that point, what what sort of led up to that point? Because I'm sure it was a, a culmination of different things that brought it all together for you. Uh, can you can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And that really ties it all together. That question has a real complexity and depth for me because that's absolutely, you know, the precursor to my experience. You know, I had this sudden spiritual awakening that was actually this gradual process of being sober for, you know, 15 years or whatever it was at the time and developing this conscious contact with this higher power and having a spiritual experience in recovery and a spiritual practice. Um, And this was around, you know, not long after 2014, I had some things, you know, like uh, happen where I just kind of started to get earnest about meditation. And right around that time, uh, I read Noah, um, Levine's book, uh, The Revolution of the Heart, and that really uh, resonated for me. And then Refuge Recovery came out like right at that same time, that book. And it was like I started sitting, you know, just through my recovery uh, meditation practice. I used to do like, uh, you know, what they call in yoga, Shavasana, which is like laying on your back meditation. Um, And then I started sitting And for whatever reason, I got a little more earnest about it. So I was starting to do a daily meditation, you know, in those years, 2014, 2015, 2016. And then, you know, we're living in this age of a media revolution. I mean, unprecedented um, uh, access to media and unprecedented access to information. So this knowledge that used to be very arcane, you know, almost secret knowledge, hidden knowledge, you know, Advaita, non-dualism, Buddhism, these really, you know, what used to be like these secret yogic teachings and things. You can just go on YouTube and like listen to some Swami break it down for you. And then, you know, in a couple days, you like have a decent grasp of what non-dualism means you know what i mean where people used to have to get initiated into cults and freaking go to the himalayas and stuff to learn this stuff and we're living in this age where we literally have the world's knowledge in our pockets all the fucking time you know and sure we can sit there and scroll through freaking tiktok or you know instagram reels all day and just watch humanity you know and get into controversy and conflict or you could, I just started looking up 
spiritual talks and you know you brought up alan watts earlier before this started you know before the interview and like dude listening to alan watts like you can just dial in alan watts i mean like my parents would probably have to go to some like conference or something or maybe hear it on the radio if right. they were lucky you know what i mean now we just go oh alan watts did 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 you're like i fucking know all kinds of shit about zen and buddhism and different sects of buddhism you can find out all about like mystic christianity and just you know, I mean, dude, it was the right time, you know, it was, it was ripe for the picking, you know, right when I was starting to discover my own inner self and then to have all that historical, amazing research, essentially, of these people that had had these awakenings. Um, and I was connected to uh, a bit to uh, the Ramdas Fellowship, uh, Krishna Das, the Kirtan chanting, and also um, Paramahansa Yogananda, um, I, I read his book. And then what was Can the other you? one? There was one other. Uh, oh, and Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh, my God, dude. I mean, you could read like No Death, No Fear, No Death, or the one that's like about Buddhism and Christianity. Like he has some, his book Anger. Oh, my, it was like gives me goosebumps, dude. Like those books are in, incredible. You know what I mean? So that's where I was at. So basically, and I know I'm going on, I'm sorry, but like, I, I was actually going to ask you if you could sort of expound on the different, those different practices that you mentioned, because as, as someone who's, who's learning about different cultures, subcultures, mm -hmm. and then different religions, because there's so many different things that you, there is all that information out there. Yeah. And sometimes it's kind of hard to navigate like mm -hmm. through, through that. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about Ramdas and, and the, those yeah. practices? Yeah, I mean, I can. I mean, they're all there for people that want to explore them. But I'll mostly say this, you know, not to get kind of too ooh-ah about it or whatever, <laughs> like magical Ooh. about it. You know what I mean? Mystical. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. You know, maybe it's just because I was in recovery and we would talk about God's will and stuff like that all the time. And and coincidences and serendipity and uh, mm. what's the, the the one that uh, was the big uh, Carl Jung? Um, Not synchronicity. Synchronicity. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, but I really feel like once I started to seek, like one thing would lead to another, kind of like in Buddhism, you know, origin dependent origination. Like I would just find one thing, you know, and then that would sort of lead me to the next thing. You know, and and I don't know, it's funny to look back on that now that we know a little bit more about algorithms and, and targeting and social media. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe YouTube just maybe Google just freaking turned me into a yogi. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I'm sure some of that happened, too. You know what I mean? But I found out about Krishnadas from my aunt. I mean, I can go on and on about it, really, yeah. the whole story. But, uh, you know, I try to say it fast. Like my aunt turned me on to, to Krishnadas. She had studied with this guy, Baba Hari Das, who it turns out was Ram Das's yoga teacher, like not asana, not hatha yoga, but like, you know, yana yoga, the knowledge of yoga, like his teacher, when he went to India, he worked with this guy, Baba Hari Das, who set up this Hanuman temple in Santa Cruz. And Noah's dad did a lot of stuff there too. It was up on Mount Madonna. I, I can just, I get on tangents, but essentially I started listening to Krishna Das. That kind of turned me on to Ram Das. And then Ram Das is, 
network was just starting to have all these podcasts and stuff at the time. So again, it was just like, it's a media fucking revolution, dude. I'm listening to Ramdas talks from, you know, 30, 40 year career. This like brilliant Harvard professor who, you know, researched LSD and, went to India. Like, it was just insane. You know, I mean, it's rad. You start searching and, and, and it just, it's one step, at, you know, leads to the next. So on top of Hari Das and, 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 and Krishna Das, who's the Kirtan guy, he does singing, chanting, um, practice. Uh, um, we, we, in my family, we had this connection to Paramahansa Yogananda, who was this famous yogi from the twenties, who kind of is one of the like pioneers of bringing yogic thought, um, to the West. So I had these little seeds, you know, and one kind of led to the next. There was Yogananda. I finally read his book, listened to a lot of, of Krishna Das's talks about bhakti yoga, about devotion and singing. Essentially what I'm trying to say is, um, so one teacher was kind of leading me to another and there was, and, um, so, uh, um, what happened though was, um, okay. So I was saying that, you know, about bhakti yoga and kirtan and, and what they call guru kripa, which is this, uh, devotional practice with a guru. Um, so I was getting all these hits from these different places, um, and, and I was having an experience. I mean, I was feeling it internally in terms of connecting to it and feeling like there was a bigger truth out there. Started getting introduced to this idea of ultimate reality, which is something that, you know, yogis talk about a lot is, is sort of our, the ultimate reality is, is our connection to God, to the divine, that we're actually just all one being, that all being is one being and that everything's connected in creation and it's all this cycle of interconnectedness, um, which is a great thing to, to, to become aware of. So that was happening. But at the same time, Ram Dass, one of the things that he is so excellent about communicating, you know, something he communicates so excellently is the idea of attachment to identity and, and, and the mind and, and, and thoughts and that kind of stuff. So I started to become aware that a lot of reality isn't based in, in ultimate reality, our connection, our oneness with all, a lot of reality isn't, um, couched in material, what they call relative reality, which is like the 3d world, you know, the material plane that so much of reality actually just exists in the mind and in these identities that we attach to, you know, when I'm angry or sad or whatever, Ram Dass would be like, you know, who do you think you are? Who is that person that's suffering? What in my identity am I attached to that if I just, you know, that that's causing the suffering. So what I'm really, without getting too deep in that, I'm just trying to say that I got introduced to this idea of story, that the mind creates stories and I will say this, that I also um, got uh, turned on to that book, uh, Sapiens, by Yaval Harari, which was this book that Obama had read in his last little um, stint as president. And he talks about it in this interview. And I could tell, I just when he was talking about it, I could see his eyes light up. 
And he's like, yeah, there's this book by this guy, Yuval Harari. He's Israeli. And he wrote this and he starts explaining. And it's funny because I've seen the clip since then. And the way he explains it, I'm like, that's actually not really what I got out of it. But I could just tell that it was something special. Mm -hmm. So again, in this new media revolution, I listened to that on Audible. And, um, and that was just incredible to mix that book, which just talks about the human experience and the development of humanity as these, as this storytelling process. Um, he tends to be pretty dismissive of religion and make believe and sort of these structures of belief and, and reality based on story. Well, at this, which is interesting because I was getting this, because when I got to Disneyland, and that's how I'm kind of trying to bring this whole thing around. So when I got to Disneyland, what I saw was stories, that that was what, not only did I have this, this non-dual experience of connection, this yogic awakening of connection and wholeness um, to past, present, and future, but I also was awakened to these stories, these archetypal stories that exist there and the power of creativity that people look at what Walt Disney did as an escape and people try to characterize what he created as an escape. But there's another side to that as there is to everything, you know what I mean? And the other side to escape is adventure, is creativity. Like in one hand, you could say that you know, you're just lost in the mind, mind created reality. Well, let's take that a step further. Why do we have to stay within that paradigm that somehow these stories that our mind tell us are, are intrinsically evil or bad or something that we should transcend? Well, what if the mind actually is this fountain of creativity in that, in that maybe our very being is just God imagining you know what I mean? Like there's something to manifestation of consciousness that is tied to entertainment. Like to think of this idea, I, mean, I didn't make this up, but there's sort of this idea that like before there, you know, before when there was nothing, before there was something that manifested, there was this energy or something. And it was like, well, I can't perceive myself. Right. What's the next thing? You know what I mean? How did we go from nothing to something? But at the same time, I feel like there's this sort of possibility, narrative, story, whatever, that that maybe God was just maybe the force of the universe, the energy of creation was just fucking bored. You know, it was just if you're just in a unit in a unitive state all the time then that's great, but there's nothing happening. You know what I mean? And then something happened. And then you kind of have entertainment and you kind of have story. You have coming and going. You have beginning, middle, and end. These are That's story. That's what every life is. That's how we're a reflection of the universe because we come into being. We live, we die. That's a story. Every life is a story. And so, um, I mean, I don't, to me, I don't want, you know, people to take, uh, whatever, I don't care how people take it, but ultimately, but I'm just saying like, I don't want that to sound trite in any way or, or shallow, like, oh, you mean life's just here to be entertained? But there's something deep to that too, you know what I mean? Like, if all, you know, if all of this is just the development of story, of entertainment, of something happening, let's not vilify that. Let's go have an adventure. 
Let's be creative. So when we write a book, when we write a song, where does it come from? Like we literally, as a songwriter, as a, as an author, as a painter, whatever your art form is, you're, there was nothing there. There might've been some paints. There might've been a recording studio. There might've been a guitar, but there was nothing there. Now there's something there. You've written a song. Where does that come from? Stephen Pressfield, uh, he talks about that a lot, about where do these things come from? They in the way that he, and it's interesting because to me there's, um, I guess there's like a correlation between the way that you can describe your experiences on rides and what they represent and the, the way that he talks about the creative process of where does it come from? And it's like the, for him, it's this magical process of yeah. development. And so it's sort of in tuned with that idea that there's nothing and then it comes into existence. You create it and then you get to observe it and whether you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it or, or whatever it is, that's not to be said, but it's, it's something from nothing. And, um, it just reminds me a lot and that, and that's when I started to, when I was reading your reading the book, I think it was the Pinocchio story where I was really, cause I wasn't really familiar too much. Can you just touch on that? So the audience has a little bit of insight into kind of the structure of, of the book itself, sure. but maybe just spotlight the, the Pinocchio yeah. story just because I'm selfish yeah. and I want to, no. I want to hear it. Well, that's a really <laughs> good story. And that's the graphic that, you know, other than the, this, you know, the Durga graphic, the t-shirts that I made were the Pinocchio one. It's oh, done yeah. by Jeremy Fish. And at some point we should talk about, you know, I mean, we're already talking about creative process and creativity. I was, so was going to wrap that to the artists. end. There's yeah. amazing people yeah. like Foss and yeah, Ed yeah. Templeton have yeah. contributed to the art. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, so um, the, um, the Pinocchio story is an interesting one, especially somebody that's in recovery because it's very much a morality tale and it's very much, uh, you know, traditionally about sort of going astray. I mean, that one was real low-hanging fruit. It's a very moralistic story. It's very spiritual in nature. I mean, and, and, and the symbolism of him turning into a donkey and like, it's all right there. I mean, you have his, you literally have this Jiminy Cricket character who's his conscience that keep, I mean, a lot of the stuff in the book where I talk about keeping him, the Lord, you know, the Lord uh, high, whatever, keeper of you know, like, what did I say? Like, uh, the, the straight and narrow path, like that's literally in the, in, in, in the, in the movie, in the, in the cartoon. So, um, but the thing that with Pinocchio that really got me, and this is a funny, um, kind of a, a funny twist with the book was that when I originally, so kind of getting back to the art and the creativity and that being a mirror of the universe and this cosmic experience, you know, um, is, uh, is music like music. And I know for you, I mean, this is screaming at the wall podcast. You got that name from a minor threat song. Like music is our freaking lifeblood. And if there's one thing I've done in my life, all my years at Thrasher magazine, you know, the punk scene, the Grateful Dead, freaking growing dreadlocks, like everything I've done in this insane charmed life that I've had 
I've always followed the music. It's always been about the music. You know what I mean? And to me, music has been like an oracle or something. Like I listen to music and it has this level of meaning for me that not only calms my nervous system, it gives me energy. It affects, you know, like my nervous system, like it's inspirational. It gives me meaning and identity, you know, that part in the, in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, where they say, weren't we all at some point worshipers, you know, and, and in this, you know, chapter of the book called We Agnostics about being agnostic. And he's trying to say, look, man, we are spiritual beings haven't we all actually been worshipers haven't we all looked at a starry night and thought wow there must be something to this experience and when I read that what I thought about was minor threat what I thought about was black flag and rudimentary peni I was like I have been a worshiper like when I like I wanted to be straight edge when I was a teenager and I couldn't because I was a drug addict you know like I tried like when I heard minor threat for the first time, I was like a spiritual, I was like, oh my God, there's a truth here. And there's so much power in this, all these jocks and freaking older kids in high school and all that pressure. And again, I could just be one, two, fuck you. Like I don't even drink or smoke, fuck your frat parties and mm -hmm. all that shit. You know what I mean? The rebellion of that was so inspirational to me and so magical and the funny thing is like I even went so far as like draw X's on my hands and shit you know and then like I'd be stoned later that fucking day <laughs> because I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs you know what I mean like but that idea of being of being a worshiper um how'd I even get on that fucking I don't know Jack but but isn't that sort of connected to like that that pathway or that desired pathway to like a higher self. Like, but you, that was like, for me, when I just sort of look at that, it's like, that's where your, the spiritual side wanted to go. Like yeah. there was a truth there, yeah. but the mind, the ego wanted to keep you trapped yeah. smoking, smoking the weed. I mean, but, the mind, the ego, or was it something physiological? I mean, I don't know. True, like yeah. I feel like alcoholism is based in the body. It's based in the mind. It's, we know that it's, that it's hereditary. So it's something that I was born with. It's mm -hmm. passed on. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad, yeah. you know, was basically a drug addict. And I just had this thing. My brother didn't have it. He has his own issues or whatever. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own issues. But for me, I can't say no to drugs. Like if they're there, I'm going to do them. Even when I say I'm not going to, mm -hmm. I don't know that not everybody has that. No, That's not a yeah. thing for yeah. everybody. Yeah. So I don't know. But, um, but in any event, why, how was I trying to tie that to the Pinocchio story? <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, the music, because I was talking about the music. Okay, thank you. So, um, so in the Pinocchio, so that's what I was trying to get at. When I first did the first draft of the book, every chapter had a song in it. Because so much of what Disneyland is about and part of this creative thing that I experienced was that was this whole encompassing in experience of the music, the visuals. It was multimedia and as multi-planed. There was a story going on. There was a song that went with the story. This th idea of theme, a theme park where everything feeds into this theme. It's very psychedelic. If you've done psychedelics before, you start to see these thematic um, 
waves that go through reality, you know, like you'll see somebody and they're just the essence of what they are. You know what I mean? And you're just like, whoa, your hat and your hair totally are you like, you know what I mean? Like you just see this essential nature uh -huh. through the psychedelic experience. Yeah. So, so there's this theme idea that really resonated for me when I got to Disneyland. And that's what, you know, the other part of what I was trying to say when you first asked the question was what I saw wasn't the commercialism and that crass, you know, consumerism. What I saw was creativity. What I saw was art, 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 artisticness and, and, um, and music. And it was incredible, the, you know, mixed with story. So the music on these rides have these fucking lyrics that are insane. Like, it's such a trip. So I would had, but I was so afraid it, from working at Thrasher all day long when we do videos, so much of our life for the last 10 years now that we're in like the YouTube era is about music clearance. And I know how tenacious music law is. Like after Napster and and the and the early aughts and the late 90s, the music industry took a shit. And we were so, you know, I assume you too, like we lived for music and it used to be this thing. And then all of a sudden, the DIY thing won and you could get any song anytime for free and like, fuck, you know, we were all like, fuck the record industry and all this shit. And they took a big hit. And then, you know, 20 years later, 10, 15 years later, they finally figured out we're in this new media era and the way they're going to make their money is monetizing through licensing. Mm. So, you know, I'm the tangent after fucking tangent, but I'm just saying, so I took those parts out of the book because I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. I thought maybe someday this thing might get picked up by a publisher or something. I just said, I don't want to fight those battles of, of including these songs. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not, not, not Disneyland. <laughs> Is that like, it could so happen. That it could happen. That could <laughs> happen too. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, it's part of why I self-publish. It's yeah. part of why I don't have a website. It's yeah. part of why you can only get it like at, in the new Etsy era of yeah, like, yeah. you can just get it through me, yeah, hit yeah. me up on Instagram. Yeah at Yogi in Disneyland, you know, and <laughs> yeah. that's how you get it. And it's like, you know, it's not, I've done it sort of under the radar, yeah. but I don't, yeah, I mean, it's silly. I should have just left them in there, honestly. Yeah. You know, part of it had to do with page count too, because yeah. we'd kind of come up with a design and it was like, how could, God, I like that. We should keep idea, it this though, yeah. size. And I was like, well, you we can just take out all the songs. Oh, yeah. So we did that. So there's a really roundabout way of getting to the fact that in Pinocchio, for instance, uh -huh. that's a great example. The songs are fucking insane. Like if you study Ramdas and Advaita and Guru Kripa and, and these different strains of, of yogic philosophy and Buddhism, especially Zen Buddhism, like the idea of I, that I've got no strings, the idea that we have these strings of attachment mm. and we're being, you know, in the song, I've got no strings to hold me down, you know, like this idea of liberation that this puppet has become free. I mean, the idea, especially in yogic stuff with the guru and and this sort of like um, ultimate reality you know, way of looking at things like we're all the puppet of the guru. We're all the puppet of God. You know what I mean? And then here's this guy who's having this realization experience, you know. And um, so that song in particular is just like straight out of like a Ram Dass talk. I've got no strings. And then and then crazy enough, there's another song in Pinocchio that's it's an actor's life for me 
which again, in the world of yogic philosophy and, and letting go of identity and identification and, and those kind of things, like the idea that we're all just an actor mm. playing a part. Ramdas would always say, you know, we're all just God in drag, which means that I essentially like that. we're just this, in the ultimate reality, we're just God. We're not doing anything. He's doing it all kind of a thing. And, and, and yet we have this, you know, quote unquote, personal um, identity, this individuality. We're individuated cells, so to speak, in this greater body of God. Um, but it's all an illusion, right? That's sort of the, the yogic philosophy that, that this individuality is maya, that the, that the material world is maya. It's all an illusion because really we're just God manifesting as being. Um, so the, just those songs alone were kind of what directed, cause you asked me like, what, what's this story? What's this teaching behind the Pinocchio thing? And it's all tied into identity and, um, and, uh, and oneness with the creator. And then the way I tied it in was a little bit with Paramahansa Yogananda, who, um, his, fellowship is called the self-realization fellowship so this idea of, of in yoga is this idea that we're going to become realized selves that when we're realized essentially the the individual the individuated self is like this illusion the smallest self and then there's the ultimate reality greater capital s self and and realization is when you realize that you're just god in drag you know, that you're actually just in oneness with God all the time. And, um, and, and this feeling of separation and this illusion of, of, of identity and individuality is, is just that, is Maya, is an, is an illusion. So the fact that Pinocchio starts off as this wooden puppet, which is like the analogy of, you know, in a sense of our enslavement and also just, you know, and our, you know, actual um, dependency on higher power or whatever, you know, and then, and, and then his quest is to become literally a real boy. Like his quest is literally to go through realization. And, and then, and he does that by, you know, if it, 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 the other thing that's funny that that one resonated for you is because it's pretty much just an AA parable. Like it's just a recovery parable. Like basically he goes and drinks beer and smokes cigars and, acts like a donkey and turns into a jackass. And then he goes and seeks his father, which can kind of, you know, in Western, you know, storytelling in the Western archetype Christianity, there's this idea that we're the son and, and God is the father. That was sort of the analogy that Christ used. So Pinocchio goes off to find his father, you know, which, you know, we know is actually his true birth is God. And then once he becomes selfless and honest, you know, then, uh, it, then, um, he becomes real. Then he gets actualized and becomes a real, a real boy, you know? So low, you, it's low hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, when you, when you were, when you were, uh, writing the book, taking like different like stories, is this something that like, what kind of re did you do research on the, the, the backstories of, of these stories and, and how they're created and how and and you you yourself intertwined the the spiritual side with the sort of allegories or these stories that were were created 
because uh, that's one thing that I, I, I'm I'm learning on this path of spirituality is like through you know all the different religions that exist that they are all very similar in nature as far as the the end point or like what they're trying to get you to to point at. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like with a story like that, the way that you were able to sort of point, because I I never, the only thing I knew, I, I don't even know if I've ever watched Pinocchio, but I did go on the <laughs> ride with my daughter when I was there and that shit was scary. Like it was, yeah. it was a dark ride and it, it almost felt like there was something else going on that I didn't understand. Yeah. And so reading the story itself, yeah. um, or read, reading your interpretation of that story was like, maybe I knew intuitively, maybe something deeper inside of me knew that there was something else like going on uh, to it. But Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the quick response to that is that there are archetypes that, right. that there are archetypes. I, I would hesitate to say that anything is universal at this point. That's a very white man's, uh, analysis of the world, you know, that there's these universal truths and everything, but, but there are pretty big archetypes anyway. Mm -hmm. So this idea of returning to the father and the scary whale, you know what I mean? It's in the Bible. It's in these, it's, you'll find it in different cultures, right? It's not universal in the sense that it's in every culture, but you'll find it in different cultures in different times of history. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I mean, truth be told, the, so what I did basically was, you know, getting back kind of one of your earlier questions was I looked at these archetypes, um, and saw the connection between these fairy tales and the stories that I was hearing in my studies of Buddhism and Hinduism. Um, I don't, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. So, um. Uh, but that said, you know, um, there is, um, so that said, these fairy tales are these, you know, the European fairy tales, the grim fairy tales. And what's the other one? Uh, uh, there's another major Hans Christian Andersen or something like that. Like these European fairy tales, these are stories that have been passed on through generations. Are you talking about the Grimm the Grim brothers? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Grimm fairy tales. Okay. And then um, I'm just saying that, so there was a few authors in Europe that sort of canonized these things that put them down into certain uh, books that became sort of like the the go-to stories. And at that point, they sort of solidified them a bit. But before that, they were oral tradition. And so they were archetypal stories. And um, and so the fact that they would correlate, in a sense, have these parallels within other cultures like uh, East Asia and Southern Asia um, is not surprising to me, you know? And who knows if there wasn't even actual you know, cross-pollinization, you know, a lot of times we forget how close the Middle East is to Europe and how close, you know, and, you know, I mean, look at the fricking Bible, dude. I mean, it's like, that's the European text that came to America. It's all from the Middle East. Like that's Asia, you know? And, and if you look at that and how close that, you know, what that total tangent. I, but I was going to say that my brother, he, he studies Od- Odinism and we, we talk <laughs> right. about Buddhism yeah. and he's like, well, that actually reminds me of this, this and that. There you and go. it's like so on point. And yeah. I'm like, what the, they couldn't be like, mm-hmm. you know, 
Well, there are these human stories. There are these creative stories that come out of people's conscious and subconscious experience. And um, so, but, the, you know, sorry. The, but the point I was trying to make specifically uh -huh. about Pinocchio is that those stories and many of the stories um, that ended up as the backbone of these Disney feature animated features and then became the backdrop to the rides were very dark stories, like very dark, you know, anybody that look in, and I'll tell you, one of the things that really informed me uh, that I loved was, a uh, there's a podcast called Disney history podcast or something like mm -hmm. that. And that guy is amazing. Like he goes into these things and tells you, and will like go, he, the guy does great research, Disney history Institute. I got to plug him. Like he's incredible. <laughs> and, um, he'll just break. So in, in Pinocchio in particular. So, you know, I mean, that was just kind of one of the genius things that Walt Disney did. You know, he was kind of like a, he could take these different stories and these disparate, you know, threads of things and weave them into a story, um, that, uh, that, that, that people could relate to and was totally entertaining and really kind of got, you know, and was clear as a clear story because he would get books. He would get stories like Pinocchio that were these series. There were serial stories. And so he would just take parts from different ones. It wasn't like, there's not, there's not a book that you go to. That's like, that's the, that's the Pinocchio. And that's in some sense, and now I'm just blabbing like a Disney freak, but in some <laughs> sense, that's why the, the, the movie Pinocchio doesn't have a very clear storyline to it like he basically fucks up comes back immediately goes out and fucks up again like the whole story of Pinocchio is basically this wooden boy that's trying to go to school for for one fucking day he never makes it to school for one fucking day and he literally like gets he goes off into show business he comes back he tries to go like before he can even get back he gets sucked out to to freaking pleasure island wow. i mean that's the, i mean that's what i'm saying like that thing was it is a morality play you know and it's based on these really dark like think the actual pinocchio character that's in the the books that the guy wrote in the Italian guy wrote it like he's a prick like he's gnarly and he does like really pretty shitty stuff <laughs> it's like not not as uh, cute <laughs> as the Disney version for sure and that's one thing that kind of that sometimes turns people off to Disney because it does have this real family friendly air to it you know well the new maybe the newer stuff yeah, yeah, the a older lot. stuff does tend to be pretty dark, but I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying yeah. that it has that sense to it. Maybe it's just the animation style seems a little cuter and less dark, and that and because it does, it appeals to little kids. But I think with Walt Disney, a lot of what he did um, was to create stuff that that was family oriented, not in this like moralistic, you know, family values kind of bullshit thing that we have nowadays, but in the sense that the whole family could enjoy it, that there was a different planes to it, that on one level, a three-year-old is like, I love Pinocchio. Yeah. And then, you know, for me as a teenager, I was like, I don't love Pinocchio. But then as I got older, it was like, oh shit, I love Pinocchio. Like, this is a good story, you know? Fuck, you smoking cigars, drinking beer, like going off to Pleasure Isle. Like, I'm a drug addict. I totally <laughs> relate to that, you know? He goes off, he wants to be famous, and he gets into show business, and it's like, I could totally relate to that. You know what I mean? I, like, I really got really to watch Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. So yeah. when you um, when you had a, that moment, what 
what had really, I guess, led you up to that moment? I mean, we don't have a whole lot of time, mm-hmm. and I, I'm glad that we t- we we talked about the the crux of of the book. Um, but for you, in that journey up into that point, um, there there was a lot going on for you. Um, can you talk a, a little bit about th- that? What preluded that? Like what? What? Um, and kind of the genesis of the actual idea of doing it, or yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was a build up, right? Because this yeah. is not like we 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 sort of. It's like how a lot of different things are. They're they're a build up, and then there's like this this point. Um, yeah, I mean, I started a sitting, a daily practice of sitting meditation, and then the whole media influx with YouTube and podcasts. And reading, I'm a voracious reader. I'm always reading. I always have a book I'm reading. Listen to a lot of books on Audible at the same time. Um, so all that was coming together. I've been sober for, you know, at the time I'd been sober for 20 years or something. And it had, you know, developed this uh, practice of service to other alcoholics and drug addicts and mentoring people and, um, and developing this conscious contact with a higher power, whatever that is, based on my real life experience. I never went to church. I've never, you know, I'm not a freaking, um, what do you call that? Not even a scholar, but, uh, um, like I'm not into, um, damn, I wish I could think of that word, uh, scripture. I'm not into scripture. I don't read scripture. Like I watched fucking Disney cartoons and watched YouTube videos. Like we live in this incredible era. This book couldn't have been written any other time, but I could just like Wikipedia. I mean, it sounds, it's lame. I don't want to make it sound too trite and too shallow, but Mm -hmm. if I needed to know what some, what Durga meant or what some deity was that was floating around in my head, I looked it up. You know what I mean? So, but I'm saying, so I had this so that was sort of the development, all that, that was my practice so that when I got there, I started, and I can tell you the actual story. It, it's kind of in the book too, is the chapter on um, Indiana Jones. Uh, and okay. that was the one where that ride is insane. Like literally I, I'm reading Thich Nhat Hanh. I'm going to, you know, I'm studying Buddhism. I'm doing this refuge recovery thing. I'm, you know, learning, I've read Noah's books and, 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 and I you know, it, we're talking about Mara all the time. And then you get to this ride and it's literally about the eye of Mara. And I was like, ah, oh, that's funny. Here's Buddhism, the story. Well, yeah, yeah, it's like right. On on, yeah, it's very on the nose. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at it and that was kind of where it started. And I was like, wow, that's insane. Like, here's this story of of the Buddha's awakening like right in Disneyland. And then when you come out, I mean, this is in the book, when you come out of the ride and this, and there's a twist to this story, when you come out of the ride, you come face to face with this Hanuman statue, this monkey statue, and he's holding a scepter with like a crystal on it for like, so obviously about clarity and meditation. He's like meditating, he's smiling, he's fat like the Buddha, Uh but it's basically Hanuman. And that statue was in Disneyland from the day it opened. Like it, like that ride is from 1955, the Jungle Cruise. So I'm having this experience, I'm going through the ride, I'm having a great time, my son's there. It's all very material world, but it's all very entertaining. It's musical, there's all these cobras in the ride cobras you know i got the tattoo like without even being into this shit which is ironic but cobras represent meditation the hood of the cobras like going inward and so you know and 
And there's just this whole story. There's literally carvings of people meditating in the ride. And I'm just like, this is so rad. And then I come out and I'm and in the Ramdas Fellowship, the guru, this guy named Karoli Baba, he's considered an avatar of Hanuman. And so they, they're very into the, the Ramayana, the Ramayana story of Ram and Sita and Hanuman. So they, so they chant about Hanuman. We talk about Hanuman all the time. Hanuman is this deity of devotion to God of, you know, when I don't see you, he says to God, to the manifestation of God to Ram, he says, when I don't see you, I I, you know, I, I, I'm messing up the quote, but it, it's about, it's about the, you know, becoming oneness with God. When I, when I can't see you, I, some, I believe in you or something. And then when I can see you, I am you, this idea of being, of being devoted as the individual and then coming to oneness. So as, 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 uh, as awakening. So in any event, here's Hanuman. I come out of the ride about Ra, about Mara and awakening and meditation and then there was hanuman and i was like this is hilarious yeah like look at this <laughs> this is the story of of awakening and these hindu and buddhist stories are right here in disneyland this is great uh, and then so what happened was then i go oh well what about these other rides you know and so i'd go on another ride and i'd go on pinocchio and be like holy shit i've got so that was that was the first ride that, yeah. that got you yeah and then you're like okay <laughs> you so, open yeah up okay. so then i was like well hold on i'm on fucking you know peter pan or pinocchio or whatever and oh look at this story about awake i've got no strings the actors life for me like god in drag holy shit then i go on fucking on the on Snow White. And I'm like, oh my God, she bites this apple. It's like the Bible. And there's this story and this, and it was all, and all these rides are about coming home to your true birth. And Jack Cornfield, he talks about this thing because I've listened to Jack's podcasts. And he says that many of the Buddhist texts, I, I totally rip, you know, put this right in the book. Many of the Buddhist texts start with this idea of, of, oh, ye nobly born that there's this idea in Buddhism of being noble, of having a noble birth, of, of in, and then in Christianity, we talk, I, we, I'm not a Christian, <laughs> they talk about, um, about the kingdom of God, and that's the real metaphor in these, in these uh, fairy tale stories, and Disneyland in general is this idea of the kingdom, you know, so, and, and so Disney, you open the gates and you enter the kingdom, and, and, and that's basically like this state of pure love and forgiveness and generosity. And so that metaphor was so blatant in all these things. So I just started. So what happened was I would just go through a ride and start writing about it. And then and then I'd move on to the next ride. And, and it was really just, just to clarify, it wasn't all in one day. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't that There's... long. It took about six months. Oh, okay. And so would... they were at, at that point when you started to realize that there was these connections, you're like, I need to, I maybe made a list before I yeah. wrote each chapter, but I kind of went through and said, well, yeah, this yeah. ride's kind of about this. Alice in Wonderland is you know, everybody's written about Alice in Wonderland, mm. you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. about consciousness and, yeah. and reality and social agreements and all that kind of stuff. Like that one is real heady. It's very psychedelic. Yeah. It's been used in psychedelia and, and all these different threads. Right. So, um, so I just started to see that, you know, it, it, that there was this possibility. And as I went through the rides, even before I was writing it, I realized, like, I got enough here for a fucking book. I kept, here's the thing. Once I got my eyes opened by, by the uh, Indiana Jones ride, um, I started to go through the rest of the rides. 
And I really was skeptical. I was like, this is funny. This is like writing a dissertation on Bob Dylan or something. Like, it's a funny idea. Yeah, it's, it's, light. it's cute. It's light. Yeah, yeah. But it's not going to hold up. But what happened was I just kept going through each ride and it worked. It just kept working. It kept working. It kept working to the point where I was like, I have a fucking book here. I got to do this. And so I went through it. And, you know, there was some magical serendipitous synchronicities. Ah, Thanks for giving yeah. me the word. <laughs> um, it's some things that happened while I was writing the book where because I'm listening to a lot of these podcasts and I'm watching videos and and I'm listening to books and I would be listening to a book and they would go off about Pinocchio. I'd be listening to a book about spirituality and they would go off about Alice in Wonderland, like right when I was on that chapter. And I'd be like, ah, like driving in the car, trying to write down the fucking, oh, was that six minutes and 37 seconds? And like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that starts happening quite yeah, a bit. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what that is, yeah. but the more, more I meditate, the more open I'm becoming to, yeah. I, I don't know what that is. There's something. I try not to get too into it. it I know it's really popular amongst, you know, I don't want to condemn it either, but um, my story about that is that, so I'm watching this thing about the Dalai Lama and um, it's on Netflix or something. This person goes to see the Dalai Lama speak. Uh -huh. And so they're doing this talk. And even the, and so I see, I always figure the Buddhists, they're so freaking prim and pr like, they don't want to talk about magic. They don't want to talk about freaking ooh, you know, they want to get into their actual feelings or actual experience, the mindfulness, the, the, the real truth. Like, you know, whereas the Hindus and the new age people and the, in the Wicca and all this stuff, like they want to get as psychedelic and cosmic and fluorescent as possible. And so I, I tend to, you know, whatever. Uh. So at the Buddhists, I just expect it to be very austere, basically. Like we're very equanimous. We're not going to get too happy about anything. We're not going to get too sad about anything. Whereas I'm like, fuck balance there, mm. what, there's where's balance in a hundred percent surrender man you know like i want to be all just like hardcore that's you know that punk, I mean? that's that punk rock yeah, energy yeah man. yeah so um <laughs> right there with but you. so in any event this is a total tangent but so i'm watching this thing on on literally the dalai lama and i know that it's translated he's not speaking in english but there's subtitles at the bottom and it's this thing about mandala and they're doing this. So if anybody wants to try to find it, it's this thing where he's there. They do this whole, which is interesting that it's this very um, ritualistic holiday in Buddhism. As much as the Westerners try to characterize Buddhism as being very austere and not about, you know, Noah with his, I'm a Buddhist atheist and all this mm -hmm. stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they and then you see different types of Buddhism and you're like, uh, I think that's green Tara over there. That looks like a freaking demon, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like some magical being or so, you know, like that doesn't look very austere, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But whatever, I'm just saying, so obviously there's very many different veins right, in right. Buddhism, but my own conception <laughs> of it is that it's this more like, we're going to cut through the bullshit and the magic and all that mm -hmm. stuff and just, and take this middle path thing, you know? Um, I'm, I'm not dismissing <laughs> that. I'm just saying my conception of it is that it's very, it's rather straight laced. Yeah. And, um, and he's, and he's talking it, it, like I said, I know that it's translated, so I can't tell you exactly what he said, but the English translation is, he's like, okay, they start meditating, they close their eyes and he's like, you'll find as you, you may find when you start meditating that you become mildly clairvoyant. <laughs> I was like, 
Wait a second. Uh, this is the fucking Dalai Lama saying this shit? <laughs> like, so going back to the like serendipity and frickin' synchronicity and yeah. the like, oh, it was meant to be in the universe manifested and, and you know, that whole kind of magical realism kind of thing. Like the shit happened. It happened to me, dude. And here's and here's the fucking story that I think is just the funniest one that I love, which is I put the fucking Lincoln experience in the book. Why did I do that? That's not even a ride. It kind of is because it's dark. And the book's about dark rides. And for anybody that gets to the book, dark doesn't mean sinister or anything like shadow or any of that kind of stuff. Dark just means literally that you go inside this ride and it's dark. Mm -hmm. And then they and they these dark rides, they tell a story. That's how they became this archetypal vehicle for this book of awakening was because there was these pre where I went to Disneyland and here's all these stories and and there are these mythic tales so but there's this Lincoln experience great moments with Mr. Lincoln and you go in there and it's this animatronic Lincoln and he tells this speech and I mean I go through it in the book well right when I get to that chapter and this is one of the funny things so much of Buddhist, um, sorry, of, uh, of Hindu and yogic philosophy is based on the Bhagavad Gita, which is this tale of, um, of Krishna and Arjuna. And then there's the, Ram the Ramayana, which is the story of Sita and Ram and Hanuman and how they battle this demon Ravana. So these are these mythic, they're, you know, and in some ways, and, uh, you know, I, mean, I don't want to offend anybody, but they're almost like Marvel like stories, like there are these superheroes and there's demons and monsters and these guys with great costumes and colorful skin. And there's these amazing literature. They're also steeped in the deepest truth, you know, of being and consciousness and devotion. So I had never read either of those. And I mentioned them by name in the introduction of this book. Like I say, it's one of the things I say, like the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana are these love poems, these songs of life, of, of God, of love. And so is Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so is Beauty and the Beast. Well, truth is, I'd never actually read those books when I wrote that. I just knew the stories, you know. And so I was like writing the book and I was like, dude, you should really fucking read uh, a a, a uh, treatment of the Bhagavad Gita. Like I didn't even know that it's basically this like 60,000 verse poem that's written in Sanskrit. Like it's kind of literally um, impenetrable to read, but there's been people that have talked about the teachings and they, so they've, there was a Westerner that wove this story out of it. That's much more like the Marvel thing in mm -hmm. a sense. And I don't want that to sound dismissive or, or let me just say look i understand if somebody listening to this thinks that is dismissive and offensive i recognize that that's there um i'm listening to this guy uh and um uh, actually you know what it was eknath iswaran he does a treatment of the bhagavad gita so i'm listening so i'm listening to his not even reading it it's audible I'm just going to be honest. You know what I mean? But I realize, and I'm loving it. I'm totally resonating with these teachings. It's the raddest truth-based truth of being, consciousness, love, like makes me just beam, like laser beams coming out of my third eye, farting rainbows all day. You know what I mean? I'm reading this, reading this thing. And, um, and I realized that the story of Arjuna and Krishna 
in this tale of truth and being is the Civil War. Like, it's literally the story of this family that has this division between these, that has this fight amongst themselves. I'm writing the fucking Lincoln thing. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, what? I, Bhagavad Gita, there it is. The Civil War, this guy who's literally, I mean, and it's so funny. Like, he's literally honest Abe. Like, he's the truth bringer. And that's so much about what the story of Krishna and, and this kind of teaching uh, this philosophy of of yoga is about finding this ultimate truth kind of thing. So you have honest Abe, the truth guy. And then Krishna, he plays a flute, you know, that's like one of the things he does. And um, in, in a lot of the tales about Krishna and, um, and, and you're in, and I'm in the Lincoln thing and you hear, just hear this flute, you know, whatever the song is probably like, whatever the song that the union plays. And so back then they had these fife and drum things, very American things, American history. And, and that's in there. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm like, well, there's Krishna's flute. And here's this story about this guy. That's the truth bringer, honest Abe. And then what does he do? He defends the union, right? And what does yoga mean? Union. Like literally we have this insane, this archetypal story in our country of the fracturedness of this being, America. And then there's the truth bringer with his flute and fight, you know, like that comes in and wants to restore union. And that's the story of yoga. You know what I mean? And like, that's where the serendipity stuff was happening. I didn't think of that before I started writing the book. Either you're super creative in your ability to be able to just take something <laughs> and fucking give it this profoundness, this fucking artistic expression of, or, I mean, I, I definitely would side with the, with the fact that there's truth in that. There's, I think once you, and I think that's what the spiritual path really does is starts to open up that, that mind, that whatever this is, it opens it up yeah. a little bit more to where you start to yeah. see these, these connections because yeah. I'm right there with you, brother. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm experiencing it yeah. right now. I've, I've been, whenever I'm, I'm very open to it, it's, yeah. it's when you start to notice it, you know? Yeah. Well, think about this one. Maybe I'll leave you with this. I think we're kind of at the end, right? Yeah. But think about this. Where do we live? Like, what country do we live in? The USA, right? America, we call it. It's the United States of America. Like, just think about what that means from a meditation point of view. And that's really what this book is, is it's just going through, de me through Disneyland from a meditator's point of view. Mm -hmm. So here I am meditating, and I'm learning about union and consciousness and states of awareness and states of, and it's like, really, we live, we literally live in a country called the United States of America. Like if that's not you, if that's not yoga, like we live, literally live in the country of yoga, the United States of consciousness of America, you know, like I was just like, this is ridiculous. I was just like, my job, <laughs> like, boom, okay, I'm going to write this book, you yeah. know, and we didn't really get to it. But so I wrote this thing thinking this is weird and who the fuck i am come from this punk rock world skateboarding who the fuck's gonna resonate with this but i was turning 50 and i'd been at thrasher for 25 years and i just went and cashed in all my chips like i just 
I mean, whatever, that's getting ahead of the story. What I did was I started to reach out to people, Ed Templeton, Tim Lehigh, people that I never would have thought would want to do this. And they all said yes. And I don't know if it's just because they want, you know, I've worked with these people for 20, 30 years, you know, but so I wrote this thing by myself, you know, in on my own as a solitary act. But what the story really became was this community creation. And the fact that the creation of the book was me reaching out to these people and them creating this artwork and allowing me to use it in this book and meeting people like Pale Horse through freaking um, Instagram and through one of my advertisers and meeting, you know, another skateboard artist, Todd Bratchett, or meeting, um, I mean, just, I, I met people at skateboard demos and stuff and I would just be, t it would come up and they'd be like, I want to do a painting for it. And I'd just be like, like the skateboard world fucking rules, dude. Like that community showed up. And when I wrote this thing, I thought, you know, I want to reach out to the Ram Dass organization. I was really passionate about that. You know, no offense to them, but they they were like, didn't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, I told Raghu Marcus, who's like the guy that runs the Ram Dass podcast network about it. And I brought him the thing. I, I know some people I got to the, you know, I can get to, you know, the right people to talk wow. to. And I went and pitched Raghu in person and he literally didn't even look at it. He, the first thing he came out, he goes, you can't do that. And I was just like. Watch me, what? motherfucker! Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. not really. I was—I mean, I was <laughs> yeah. respectful. I like Rog. I mean, yeah. whatever. He's a great guy. The stuff he produces is awesome. But he, under my, he underestimated well, your DIY. I don't know. I've rock. sent it to him <laughs> yeah. since then, and yeah. I haven't heard back. But yeah. in any event, I'm just saying, like the yo. I thought I'd be doing things in yoga studios and 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 nothing from the yoga world. Maybe because I don't do hatha, asana yoga. Um, I don't know. That world's just different from the skateboard world. Yeah. And, you know, the artists that I got, there's a guy, um, Robert Ryan, who's this rad tattoo artist. I don't know if you know him. He did the, um, he did this, uh, Hanuman thing that I used as the Yeti. Pause? Yeah. So, uh, uh, Robert Ryan did this, uh, Hanuman painting that I end up using for the, um, Matterhorn, because the Matterhorn has this Yeti in it. I mean, this was another synchronistic thing that happened. Like, I literally saw this on Instagram. I'd already met Robert. I love him. Death, sweetest guy in the world. Go get a tattoo from Robert Ryan. Coolest dude ever. Tim Lehigh, the best. Like, there's a bunch of rad tattoo artists in here. Danny Boy Smith, Beth Gould. Hit these people up. They're all excellent. But So Robert's very into Hinduism and, and uh, I guess, Guru Kripa, in a sense. He has a guru. And... and um, I mean, uh, I don't want to speak for him, but, um, but he does actual practice, you know, uh, you know, uh, sadhana. Um, I saw this on Instagram and I was like, dude, is that for my book? Cause this looks like, like the Matterhorn and this looks like the Yeti. Uh -huh. And, and he's like, no, but you can use it. Like, that's the kind of shit that the tattoo and skateboard world does. They're not like, Oh, I'm trying to get ahead and fucking yeah, yeah. my Thing. Like I asked fucking some pretty well-known yoga teacher to write an intro for the book. He didn't even respond. You know what I mean? And 
whatever i get it like maybe this is bad for their look you know what i mean like if you're trying to be all like holy and i mean whatever i don't want this to be a thing where i'm talking shit but i'm just saying like it it didn't resonate for some people but in the skate world in the tattoo world people were stoked and they all said yes well you i mean you're you're aware the fact that that community is very open yeah to yeah really anything when it when it it can for the most be part, for the most part i was know? shocked honestly yeah. i'm still like just blown away you know like i didn't think people would be into it because it's it's i talk about god nonstop. i mean that's a non-starter for a lot of people right dude. i mean we're at, against the stream buddhist atheist yeah. <laughs> like talking about god like that's weird for a lot of people it's too weird for disney i yeah. tried to pitch disney on doing this essentially <laughs> not like the higher ups but uh, i know some people like i can uh, get through i mean we do juxtapose magazine too uh, i can get through to some people i've you know it's what i do i yeah. sell advertising i talk to freaking nike and new balance and adidas like i could get i could talk to some people yeah. you know but disney like that no way they're not they don't want anything that says god in it and that was uh, it, it so um in any event i mean quick side i swear it's quick um uh oh twist with the hanuman remember i told you that the the moment of awakening was when i saw the hanuman statue they took that out Those, the, the over mon- covid the monkey, right? yeah they took the hanuman statue in the jungle book i mean the jungle cruise when you come out uh-huh. of the the Indiana Jones ride that I was like, I got to write this. This is funny. There's Hanuman. Like I've been worshiping, like I, you know, like singing and chanting my love and devotion to this being. And he's right here in Disneyland. You know what I mean? And like, that was like the inspiration of a book. They took that out during fricking COVID. Did you find out why? Well, I'm sure it's because of cultural appropriate appropriation Uh. and the sensitivity around religious symbols uh, and stuff i mean i can understand in a sense why they did it but i don't think they fully understand how hinduism works and it's not like christianity <laughs> in terms of like a religion and icon. i don't know uh, i'm not from india so yeah. scratch whatever scratch. i say i'm just yeah. white guy from ojai like <laughs> I, I don't have the cultural voice to speak for that but i can at least see that that's that some people could get up in arms about it. I mean, they put Hanuman in freaking Black Panther, dude. And I was like, yes, you know, the Jabari tribe. Like, I was like, holy shit. And they're like, we will eat your children. And then he's like, and then he goes, ah, I'm just messing with you. We're vegetarians. And I was just like, yes, I love that shit. I'm sure people were, bu- were, were freaking bummed about it. But that's, to, to me, it that's was funny. Sick. That's funny. Um, but anyways, the, you know, the, the, I think the point I was trying to get at was just that, you know, the skate world in the tattoo world, they came through, Yeah, you know, and, um, and Robert Ryan, he said, stick with our people, you know, stick with your people, stick with our people. Cause I was like, I'm going to go to Disney. I'm going to try to get them to put this thing out. I got stars in my eyes and delusions of grandeur of how big this thing could be. I'm going to try to find a publisher. I'm going to go to the Ramdas people and see if they'll put this out. You know what I mean? And he was like, dude, just, you should just do it. Like, just stick with the skateboard and the tattoo world. And I, and when he told me that, I was like, nah, I'm going to go big, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I got shot down by all those people. And then I ended up publishing it myself. And I like 
Robert was a, is a wise man. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Robert Ryan. But, and, and then just to cap that off, that became the most wonderful thing about this book was the fact that, I, you know, I'm kind of a loner in some ways. Like, I'm very outgoing and I can, you know, I mean, I'm a sales guy. I work in advertising, like sales. Like, I, can, I like to chop it up. But at the same time, I, I do a lot. You know, I'm a meditator. I like to be alone. I'm quiet. I create you know, I write songs by sitting in my room wood shopping, you know what I mean? And I'm in a three-piece band, not a seven-piece band, you know, with the horn section and shit. You know, right. I was like a bass player, a drummer, and me singing, playing guitar, and writing all the songs, you know what I mean? Like, you know, but this became a collaborative project, and I didn't plan that. And that is what really makes this magic for me. Like, when I look at list of freaking artists on here this right here that's god that is a power greater than myself that's not something that i planned or you know like i showed up i did the work i put out the requests i mean very directly i literally asked for these people yeah. to do it but they said yes and they sent this artwork in and this became this community project that when i released it I didn't get any calls from yoga studios. I didn't get calls from a publisher. I didn't get money. Where did I go? I went to freaking FTC on hate street, you know, the birthplace of psychedelia, mm -hmm. which was perfect and did an event at the skate shop. I went to Laguna beach to a shop called hand plant. That's not there anymore. Laguna beach, another psychedelic, you know, center place. Um, back in the day before it became super ritzy as it is now, but in the sixties, pretty wild place. Right. Um, but again, an artist community with tons of art and tons of surfing and tons of skating. That's where I did it at hand plant. You know what I mean? And then, you know, the one foray I made into the spiritual world was here at against the stream. So shout out to against the stream. Yeah. Um, thanks for letting us use this. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. I love Noah. I love what against the stream does. Refuge recovery, all that stuff. Well, I mean, I, we we really could talk. I think a lot more about a lot more other other things. Unfortunately, I gotta take off. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, but I want to say thank you for for giving me your time, sharing your story. Um, any last shout outs and, uh, just direct people again, where they can find the book. Yeah. Instagram, uh, at Yogi in Disneyland. Um, that's, that's where you can get it. That's the spot. And, um, I think I, you know, just shout out to all the artists that contributed. There's a list there on the book. Um, you can only get the book through me. So hit me up on the DMs. That's the way to do it. Keeping it underground, keeping it's, it out of the eyes of Disney and anybody that was. As, as someone who wasn't a fan of Disneyland as, as, as much, I want to say that the, the, the stories are, are very detailed. And I, and I just really loved how you were able to intertwine like the spiritual stories of different religions and, and that in itself, I think, uh, deserves attention. And the fact that you can bring some sort of spiritual awareness into these stories and into these rides, it was, I, it was unexpected for me to be yeah, honest with cool. you. So it was really, I, I went on like a, a theme ride. Like I didn't really know what to expect. And 
I I enjoyed hearing you sort of expound on it as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you can't find God right here in America, <laughs> what's the fucking point? You got to go off to India. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like this. Yeah. Um, so and so I'm going to everywhere. I'm going to I, I I I agree with that. And um I'm going to, I'm going to end it, but I just want to say thank you to you as well. Uh, you're someone that, um, I was able to interact with when I was kind of going through something, you know, I was, I was in a dark place and you're one of the few people that I helped me through that process. Um, which was, uh, I I actually wanted to talk about that, but I don't have time because I, I just feel like there's, there's wisdom. There's the, the whole this whole thing is about sharing, right? Like I, I struggle even with the idea of like, I go through experience. You want to share it because I I somehow feel like it's attached to my identity. My ego is that I just want to share it because, but the more I engaged and interact with the people that, and of course there's people that have learned from me, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I Mm -hmm. owned a skate shop, so I had a direct, um, connection and, and, uh, to the community and, and helping younger people along. Mm. And I do think it's, it, it is important. So I'm, I'm starting to like, understand that a lot more. And I think we need more people like that and more people that go through these experience to share, because it just it helps us in this process, or don't I don't you don't yeah. do shit with your experience, you know what no, I mean? No, no. But, well, um, yeah. but no, I just I, it's it feels weird to like uh, say it in the camera because I didn't like I didn't tell you like, but it it really it really helped me to sort of process certain things, and it really uh, was kind of the catalyst for me to be like, okay, let me go a little bit more into the darkness that I was into, which is yeah. sort of ironic, but yeah. to sort of make discoveries in those shadows, which yeah. I think is important. And, and I think a lot of these stories that are being relayed here are like touching on that. So there's yeah. like, touching. yeah, we didn't really get into that, but you know, this yeah. idea of that enlightenment awakening is this transcendence from our humanity is something that I definitely speak against mm. in this book. And that's why Disneyland is a great place to, to study God and spirituality. Like it's not about transcending the human experience. And you talked about going into the shadow and facing that and not casting out whole parts of our personality under this guise of, you know, equanimity or balance or something it's like true balance is like knowing that we get really sad that we get really angry that we have resentment and fear and you know yeah meeting that face to face and that's something i definitely tried to you know with like the haunted house ride and the and that stuff you know that's like carl jung you know what I mean? That's, yeah. It's it's interesting that the psychology, psychology and spirituality, I, I'm I'm starting to yeah. discover is very much like intertwined. But also just the human experience exactly. itself. That that you know, I I'm really happy when I look back at the book now since I wrote it a couple years ago that I go back and I go, oh, this isn't ungrounded. This is grounded spirituality. That throughout the book I talk about not getting too caught up in the mind, but Stand, but 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 coming back to the heart and 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 not running away from who we are, but facing who we are, and and that kind of thing about 
Um, I think that grounding is this is the new buzzword. It was mindfulness, and now we're moving into the grounded <laughs> phase of these of, hashtag. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I was glad that, that <laughs> as as we move into this new realm of buzzwords, <laughs> that I went back and I was like, no, nah, this is it's legit. You know what I mean? But in in in, in on that vein. Um, I think you're right. You know, I mean, writing a book is great, but, but what was the real magic for me was connecting with those other people and doing these events with community face to face. It's, we can all, and, and that's sort of a mirror of this process. I feel like of, we do all this, we have all this media and information available to us. And then we have actual conversations with people. So it's like, I got to remember that too. Like I study, 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 and that's up here. Mm. And I got to remember to call you when I come to town. Yeah. Call my homie when I come to town. Go to the refuge recovery meeting with him this morning at 730. Don't just like blow people off and, and get all caught up and, you know, hanging out with my girlfriend or, or studying or working or whatever, like. It, and, and COVID was hard for that, you know, Yeah. like it cut us off, you know? So the fact that we're able to like, you know, texting is great and it's really great, but you know what? A lot of times I want to call somebody or go see them, you know? And, 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 and it's crazy because we live in this time of this real intense dynamic of like extreme intimacy, like social media is this sort of false intimacy world that we live in where everything is put out as this sense of intimacy. You're going to see my closest, deepest truths. I'm going to show, you know, emotionally and physically, like come right into my bedroom, you know, this false sense of intimacy. But then we're really just projecting it to a faceless entity and then what a weird dynamic we're living in you know of like this false intimacy basically this sense that we're connected to the entire world through there our phones and yet we suffer from this sense of no connection whatsoever we feel more isolated than ever you know what i mean and uh, you know i'm not the, everybody knows this. I mean, I'm not right. the first person to say this, but you know, let's call each other. Let's, let's meet in person. Yeah, yeah. Come let's have, yeah. because you yeah. said I reached out to you, right? Mm, that yeah. helped me. You know what I mean? Yeah. The fact that I got to call you and you're like, Hey man, I'm feeling down. I'm really, you know, this thing's bothering me and I could be there and listen to you and you listen to me. Yeah. And I got to get, tell you about my experience and we that, shared that, that. that. Yeah. That shared energy. Uh, yeah. yeah. You and, uh, uh, another person that I just met, I've, it's, it's been a lot of spiritual engagement you were talking about the word intimacy and mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think the more you have that, like in your life, a direct connection to where yeah. you, you, I don't, it, it's interesting to, to see people go through like a spiritual process or you, you sort of hold up a, they hold up a mirror, right? So mm -hmm. you can see these people, you have this direct connection. There's this energy going back and forth. And, um, that's also very important because sometimes like if you were not, if you're not engaged with the self, it's, it, you, you sort of neglect that and you don't mm -hmm. see like what is actually just there. Yeah. So yeah. the more you have those engagements where right. it's like, it is like these, like a direct intimacy where it's not like this fake like thing. And I don't know if that's just with 
people that are into punk rock that find spirituality, but really it's about being authentic and, and genuine. And a part of that is actually living the experience versus just holding up this, you know, facade or this fake thing up here to be like, this is where I am, but I'm not, I'm not really grounded. Well, the next fake facade media creation that I plan to come out with is going to be a book on punk rock using like my old flyer collection and all that stuff and tying, it's going to be basically like a yogi in punk rock land and tying spirituality to the punk experience, which Noah has obviously pioneered that, you know, in terms of Dharma punks and and his thing. I look forward to that. Um, it actually reminds me of Greg Graffin. He had, he had, um, I think it was anarchy evolution. He had written that and he was, uh, sort of tying in like punk rock to evolution. Um, cool. Very interesting. And again, these are these concepts that you're like, well, how the fuck is this possible? But But then he sees it. But yeah, if you can talk about spirituality in Disneyland and you walk away with like, wow, I have, I have a deeper understanding and actually, have you you have created this this thing that allows me to see something without judgment and actually to be able to see a little bit deeper into something yeah. that, that that's always something yeah well it's, i love that noah really set up this thing of buddhism as rebellion as spirituality as a rebellious practice going against the stream um but the part that i was always like dude but like, how are the germs spiritual? How is black flag spiritual? How does suicidal tendencies tie into Buddhism or Hinduism? You know what I mean? Like that was the only part where I was always like, go deeper. You, it's very good. You used punk rock as this analogy for Buddhism and for spirituality, but talk more deeper about punk. Let's get into the details of this thing where we can really see a spiritual message in this song, on this record, in this image, you know what I mean? So um, so look for that. Hopefully, now that I've put it out there, I'll have to do it. You'll have to do it. And yeah, we'll we're, hold, we're holding you so accountable. We, so we can get uh, together. And then last little pitch, I'll say, my dream really is to do a Disney day, a yogi day at Disneyland. So putting this out there too, what I'd really like to do is do it um, – during uh navratri which is the celebration of durga and i mean this is another one of these synchronistic stories so when i put the book out the day that it came out i didn't plan this at all i swear to god total synchronicity was the first day of 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 navratri which is the celebration of durga and the cover of the book is durga riding on the cheshire cat instead of a tiger so i feel like it's good anniversary that already happened it's been established it's on the book so think september 26th through october 5th hopefully this year 2022 we do a meetup at disneyland we could even go through the rides in the order of the book or just do whatever we want i'm into if anybody wants to work with me on that make a flyer help me promote it i'd love to get together in person with people that is really the key to this fucking thing we've done enough covid we've done enough isolation enough youtube enough studying on our own let's get together and actually exchange energy and the other target date for me in general is spring equinox because it's this time of rebirth and regeneration um after the winter solstice which i talked some about that cyclical uh cycle um seasons kind of thing in in the um 
in the uh, chapter on the Haunted Mansion, but the holiday edition with uh, Jack Skellington. So I love spring equinox. I'm doing a thing this year. Um, this might not come out until afterwards, but basically at Mercy Hot Springs, which is sort of in the Central Valley up near Hollister, Gilroy kind of, but inland off the five. And I want to make that into an annual event also. So if anybody's into helping me organize spring equinox event and or Navratri, let's get together. What was your Instagram one more time? At Yogi in Disneyland. You got it. All right. Well, thank you, Evan. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Much gratitude. Uh, Make sure you follow uh, Evan on Instagram. Make sure you uh, give us uh, a subscribe and a follow and share. Share this story. Sharing is caring. Uh, I'm going to end it. I'm always terrible at ending it, but I'm going to say peace. See you next time. Don't care about the poor in your own. Oh, baby, push me.